Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, Pope Francis awarded two Vatican journalists with a papal knighthood, and a letter that he sent to America's national correspondent was made public. So we'll look at what these two stories tell us about the Pope's vision for journalism. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from a gray skies and rain of Rome, Colleen. How are you doing? Well, when the when the sun isn't shining, it's a Rome isn't isn't uh, alive. Ah, uh, totally. Well, hopefully it comes back alive soon. Francis honored veteran journalists Philip Palella and Valentina Alasraki, who have been reporting on the Vatican for decades. They received the rank of Knight and Dame of the Grand Cross of the Order of Pope Pius IX. The Order of Pius IX, also known as the Pian Order, is a papal order of knighthood that recognizes outstanding service for the church and society. So, Jerry, you had a big event this weekend. On Saturday the 13th, Pope Francis made two veteran Vatican journalists, who you've known forever, a knight and dame of the Order of Pius IX. And we'll get to what that means in a moment. But the reporters were Valentina Alizraki of the Mexican TV station Televisa, and Phil Pulella, who's an American journalist reporting for Reuters. And you've worked alongside them both the whole time that you've been at the Vatican. So tell us who they are and why the Pope wanted to knight them. Well, Valentina has been the voice of the Vatican to Mexico since mid-1970s. In fact, the Pope said in an off-the-cuff comment, he said, since she got her first communion. <laughs> she was a very young young woman, uh, I think maybe 20 at the time. And uh, they, Televisa, which is the big Mexican network, in, in uh, didn't have a correspondent. And when John Paul II became Pope, they were looking for someone. And she flew on the plane with him when he went to Mexico in 1979. <laughs> And she gave him a sombrero, and the Pope re- recalled that on the in his speech as well. She gave him a sombrero, and that, of course, was the f- Pope's first real big foreign trip. And uh, she has traveled, I think, a hundred and fifty papal flights. Wow! And uh, Phil has gone over the hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil uh, was it- born in Italy. He immigrated with his family to the States. And since 1983, he's been reporting on the Vatican for Reuters, and I think before that for UPI. Jerry, what are some of the big stories that Phil and Valentina have covered or been known for? Uh, Valentina did an extraordinary interview with Pope Francis, 
which went on for one hour and 20 minutes, I think, on the television. Phil also did an interview with the Pope in recent times. Those are two that come to mind immediately. Okay, so let's talk about uh, this papal knighthood. I think some people might be surprised to learn that these still exist. Uh, there are five active orders of knighthood that are still given out. So uh, there's you might have heard of the Knights of Malta or the Knights of the Holy Sepulchre. Those are the biggest. They have you know tens of thousands of members. Um, and those two are governed by the Holy See. But there are three other orders that are a little less well-known, and they're under the direct protection of the Pope, and they're much smaller. And the Order of Pius IX, which is the one that Phil and Valentina were invested into this weekend, is the highest ranking of those. There's only 500 to 750 members, and a lot of them are heads of state, ambassadors to the Holy See. So this is a big deal. But Jerry, I'm curious, is there a precedent for knighting a journalist, especially maybe a journalist for a secular outlet? Well, at the um, meeting in the consistorial hall on Saturday, I discovered, because he was in front of me, was Victor Simpson, who also wrote for the news agency. He was knighted five years ago. He was given the knight of Gregory the Great, which is a lower one in, in a way, but it was not in a, at a public ceremony of this nature. For the Pope to give it is very unusual. Right. Very, very unusual. Normally, it's the the chief of staff that's called the sostituto or it's the secretary of state who gi- who gives the and also of course remember that i think bishops cardinals around the world will have given knighthoods or honors papal honors to uh, lay people. Right, bishops can give the order of gregory the great to people. We see that happen sort of often. So uh, so th- th- this is uh, I can't say without precedent because you'd have to track history and uh, the the order of Pius IX actually started in 1540 or 1560 I think. It actually predates Pius IX that had a different name before. Yes, uh, Pius IX resurrected it because it had gone out of fashion. And Jerry you mentioned that you know it's very unusual for the pope to uh give Uh, a knighthood in person. Uh, What was also unusual was that these two journalists, Phil and Valentina, really got the full head of state treatment. They were brought in for a meeting uh, in the library where the Pope usually meets heads of state. He sat them across the table from him, which is usually where heads of state sit. We were just talking a few weeks ago when, when Nancy Pelosi came that she sits next to the desk because she's not a head of state. But they really, they had the whole red carpet rolled out for them. Yes, uh, I, I remember, of course, Pope Francis did this to the American nuns when uh, he closed the investigation against them. And he had the nuns sit exactly in front of him at the table, like he had President Biden a couple of weeks ago and uh, Prime Minister Modi. The Pope is uses this to uh, affirm in a particular way people beyond the heads of state. The heads of state, it's a protocol. It's following protocol. I feel like we should explain this a little bit. So for people who aren't familiar, the Leadership Conference of Women Religious was subject to an apostolic visitation, which is like an investigation. They were under scrutiny for possibly holding unorthodox views on various Catholic teachings. And Pope Francis wanted to close that investigation, but people really had seen it as sort of a an undermining of the sisters, I guess. Uh, and so to hear that the Pope sat them across the table from him like heads of state, it's it's sort of an affirmation. 
I wonder if there's a parallel here with the journalists and with the fact that, you know, at times the Vatican has uh, not always had the most friendly relationship with journalists. Well, it's, it, it varies. Uh, we've been two years when we didn't see much of each other, the Pope and the journalists. Back in the 2019 and the beginning of 2020, before the pandemic, when a head of state came or an important visit a week, a, a small pool of journalists would go into the papal library and would be there for the beginning and the end of that visit. But since February 2019, we have not been in the papal library. No journalists have allowed in. And so, for example, when President uh, Biden came uh, with 15 uh, journalists aboard the Air Force One and they wanted to, to get in, not one journalist was inside except the Vatican media. Right. It's actually just been made public today in La Croix that uh, that Secretary of State Blinken actually called Cardinal Perelin himself to try to get journalists into the room. And it was a, there was a big hullabaloo about this right before Biden's visit. I think Pope Francis, he's met us on the plane twice, one on the trip to Iraq and then on the trip to Hungary and Slovakia. But it's always been a kind of a fleeting moment with him. And uh, the press conferences, because of the size of the plane, we've been rather squashed. Uh, I think the Pope wanted really to, first of all, affirm journalists, but also affirm also to what he calls the dean and the vice dean of the journalists, because these are two of the senior, the most senior journalists. And so they were representative of the journalists. To do this, uh, he, he went out of his way. And I will tell you something, he really enjoyed what he was doing. You could see he was happy. We were a hundred in the room because you had Phil and Valentina. Each of them brought members of their family. And then each one was allowed to invite a certain number of journalists, about 10 or 12. And then they brought in institutional figures from the past, people who had been press officers in the past, people who had run the Vatican media office. I saw people there that I hadn't seen for five, ten years. And so, so we were hundreds in all in the consistory hall, which was where Benedict Sixteenth, made famous by uh, announcing his resigna resignation exactly in that hall. Right. You're in the sight of the biggest Vatican news story in 700 years. Yes. <laughs> it's very and apropos. there... There, then Francis uh, went out of his way and he met each one of us individually. And you're going to tell me all about what you said to him? <laughs> I said something, but I'm not sharing it with the world. <laughs> I had to ask. <laughs> all right. So uh, the Pope did give a speech at this event. He sort of laid out his vision for journalism. And in his classic way of choosing three words to focus on, uh, he urged the journalists in the room to focus on listening, investigating, and reporting. And when it comes to listening, he really stressed the importance of talking to sources in person. He says, we need journalists who are willing to wear out the soles of their shoes. For investigating, he said that the most important contribution that journalism can make is in-depth analysis, so giving context and a sense of precedence. Uh, and then for reporting, he said, you know, you can't make yourself the main character of a story. You can't get in the way of the story, but you do need to allow yourself to be moved by the people you encounter so that you can share their stories humanely and compassionately. 
And Jerry, I just, I, I don't know, I wanted to chat with you about this because you've been a reporter for a lot longer than I have. What did you think of this? Does this ring, ring true to your experience? Well, the first thing I thought was the Pope said, I, I love you. Hmm. I follow you. I take note of what you're writing and saying. And it's true. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes he says, ah, I, I write what you said. Right, and so that, that I think that little message I, I I love you was was much appreciated by people. He, he was making very clear. Then the second thing, what you've said, the three words that he chose, listen, and th th that's fundamental because uh, I, I've seen often in reporting people half listen, and so you get distorted messages, or they hear what they want to hear. Right, you come in with the idea of a story already. Yeah. And the Pope says something, and so you, you, it fits into the frame you have already in your mind. And that's not real listening. Mm -hmm. And so for Francis is very careful. He says, uh, you, you listen. And he, he means really listen deeply and try and get to what's behind the words. And certainly, uh, I, I know from my own uh, experience in interviewing, you've got to listen carefully not to misinterpret the other person. And I'd see in the press conferences on the plane how easy it is to somebody thinks they've they've really captured what's being said and throws a line. And the, we, we all know that the headlines that go out can uh, misrepresent or distort. Uh, and then the second thing, you, you said investigate. The word he actually used was approfondire, which means go deeper. In other words, get the context, get the background, throw some light uh, beyond what is said. Uh, I think this is also very important. And, uh, and then the third thing is then to report how, how you put it out. I liked what he said in this reporting section about kind of the value that our different approaches and styles and cultures and points of view bring to our reporting. Um, I don't know, it kind of spoke to what we're trying to do on Inside the Vatican, bring a few different perspectives to, to the same story. And also to be on the ground, because if you're not in on the ground where the story is breaking, uh, you can get lost. I remember when Benedict the Sixteenth went to Erfurt. He celebrated mass in the main square. There were only two or three journalists actually in the square, and then we started getting news from the wires that uh, somebody had shot, and there was panic in the square. But you were there. Yeah, we were there. What happened was somebody two miles away had encountered with the police or something and a shot had gone off. Mm -hmm. But it had nothing to do with the square. But it was running on the wires that there was panic in the square. Mm -hmm. And it was so calm, so quiet. <laughs> and I've said before that the BBC had a very good rule, the old BBC, that either you personally witnessed what was happening, or you had two independent sources who who knew what had happened, who had seen what had happened. Otherwise, you didn't run the story. Yeah. All right. So after the break, we'll talk about what this reveals to us about Pope Francis's approach to the press. Pope 
Francis's speech to the journalists being knighted uh, was not all that we heard from the Pope this week about journalism. Pope Francis also sent a letter to our America colleague, Michael Lachlan, congratulating him and thanking him for his research that he has just published in a book called Hidden Mercy about uh, Catholics' responses to the HIV and AIDS pandemic. And that letter was made public earlier this week. We have a bonus episode with Mike if you'd like to listen to that. But Jerry, taking that letter, which was thanking Mike for shedding light on those stories and bearing witness to them, and then this speech that the Pope gave about listening and investigating and reporting, I wonder what it reveals to you more generally about Pope Francis's approach to the press. I'd say, first of all, Mike's book, in fact, is a good illustration of what Francis said. Mm-hmm. He went and listened. He deepened the conversation about what had happened with the AIDS victims and the gay community. And then he reported the story. Right. He did more than 100 interviews and he was there in person. So this is a good example of, of good reporting. Now, uh, Francis has, from his days in Buenos Aires, uh, has been all very cautious of the media. Because, but remember the context in which he grew up. Tell me about that. He was in, in uh, especially when he became... Uh, uh, the provincial of the Jesuits at a very young age, and sh- shortly after, the military took over the country. So anything that was said, anything that could be attributed to you, came with a price that it could be used against you. And so he was very, very careful of saying anything publicly. Uh, when he became archbishop in 1998, Uh, he had a government which considered him the head of the opposition in the country and which was also, as we now know, uh, funding uh, journalists to dig dirt on the Pope, basically. You could count in two hands all the interviews he'd given in his life and he became Pope and suddenly, in his first meeting with the press, he began telling the secrets of the conclave. (laughs) Right. There was a big, big change in uh, his approach here. He got a lot more open and a lot more, I don't know, freely spoken, I guess. He was always a free man, Mm -hmm. but he was in a country where you had to be very careful what you said. When he became Pope, uh, that that first on the uh, Saturday, he he had met the press. There were 700 journalists or more in the hall, and uh, he suddenly opened up and... uh, He's not looked back since. I mean, no pope has given so many interviews to individuals. No pope has uh, taken so many questions from left, right, and center. And he has given interviews to people that uh, traditionally the Vatican wouldn't have been allowed in to interview him. And he, he believes in communicating, and he believes in communicating himself. I remember uh, early on I was asked by the BBC to write a story on the Pope's communication method. And I remember Greg Burke saying to me that he is, he's like Messi. We, and that's he meaning the Vatican uh, uh, establishment, we pass the ball to him and he scores the goals. <laughs> and uh, so, he, he, and he really is, a very good communicator. He recognizes, and he's the first to admit, yes, I make mistakes. People get me wrong. But uh, 
you know, nobody's perfect. Yeah, I'm, the the messy thing is is interesting because I mean, with such a, a freely speaking, you know, and open open to interviews kind of pope, uh, it's it's sometimes I think been a frustration to the Vatican's communications operation. You know, we we have often seen them try to explain or even backtrack a little bit the things that the Pope says. Uh, so them calling him messy uh, <laughs> is kind of interesting. It may not always be a score in their book. On the flight back from Brazil, from Rio, to July 2013, uh, when he said, who am I to judge? Mm-hmm. I mean, that blew the minds of many bishops. Oh, yeah. Not to mind uh, the Vatican's communication operation. Mm-hmm. And uh, r- really, he has been extraordinarily good at communicating his message. Mm-hmm. And he's built a relationship with journalists uh, throughout the world. He goes to different countries. He gives sometimes gives in, uh, interviews to the local media in the different countries. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's one of the big newsmakers in the world. Yeah, I I wonder how you square this with, you know, I've I've been following the Pope's communications, World Communications Day messages since 2013, because I was a communications student then and was really interested in this. And it seems like over time, we've seen Francis in those messages and in some of the other things that he's published about the media, uh, take on a slightly more negative tone. And I think that that makes sense as we've seen, you know, like the tension around the 2016 U.S. election, for example, that had so much fake news, some of it focused on the Pope. I remember one of the biggest fake news stories that circulated on Facebook was that the Pope had endorsed Trump. Um, But we've seen him really sort of take a more critical tone in some of his writings towards the media. For example, he focused on uh, fake news in his 2018 World Communications Day message. And in Fratelli Tutti, he was really, really critical of social media. And he said that digital communications aren't capable of uniting humanity. And then there was also this, uh, you know, harsh criticism he made of EWTN uh, recently. And so I, I don't know, I'm curious how you how you square that with this kind of narrative of openness and being a good communicator and all that. I, I think he's calling a spade a spade. And he's seeing the distortion, the abuse of the social media, where a blog sites new sites are in fact deliberately spinning stories or using hate language, using divisive language. Mm-hmm. Social media is a very powerful tool, but whether it's being used for good and for unifying humanity or healing wounds, or whether it's being used for destructive purposes, for self-interest, for undermining authority and also undermining the papacy. He's very well aware of this, and I think uh, his comment on EWTN was in this latter phase. Yeah, I I think that one useful thing that that can maybe help us draw the distinction here uh, in his speech to the journalists is that he kind of draws a line between you know reporting, explaining, contextualizing, which he says can can have value, you know, bringing in your own perspective, your own cultural background, your own point of view as a journalist. But there's an opposition between that and setting yourself up as a judge, which echoed something that he said about EWTN, about they they sit in judgment, right? He said that the, the, the reporter is not there to condemn or to be a judge. And he, he's, he's made very clear that uh, 
uh, th- that is not the role of the media. A- and yet, uh, I mean, I've lived in London, I lived in other parts of the world, and you, you just take the front page of, of some of the papers sometimes, and it's they have sent to hell whoever happens to be the target of the story. And uh, for Francis saying, uh, media should be used for good purposes. He's also thanking them for saying, uh, for uncovering also the wrongs of the church. And he's he's saying, and he's said many times, that the media has a role to uncover corruption, to uncover abuse, to uncover injustice, and to bring this out. And so the, the, the function is very broad. He doesn't belong to that group uh, in the hierarchy who, who tend to feel that the media is the enemy. Francis is not thinking in that light. Right. And... And this weekend's events uh, in Rome really, really illustrate quite the opposite of that. So if our listeners want to hear more about Pope Francis's three tips for journalists today, we have a story on that up at americamagazine.org and linked in the show notes. And you can also find coverage there of Pope Francis's letter to our colleague, Mike O'Loughlin. I'll link to all of those in the show notes, along with our bonus episode interviewing Mike. And the USCCB's November meeting is going on right now. If you'd like to hear more about the document on the Eucharist that they're voting on, we have a deep dive episode on that from last week. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Jerry, thanks for taking some time to have this sort of meta conversation about Catholic journalism with me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Colleen. Journalism in general as well. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as since you're sort of my uh, my journalism mentor, it's it's good to have these kinds of conversations about this sometimes. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Production assistance from Kara Hanlon and Ricardo Da Silva. Sound engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. And if you want to support our work here on Inside the Vatican, the best way to do that is by purchasing a digital subscription to America Magazine. You can do that at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thanks. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.